This is Rating Descendo, where we watch IMDb's worst 250 films so you don't have to. I'm Michelle St. Clair. And I'm Abigail Ward. And this week, we watched Vampire in Brooklyn. A ship sails into Brooklyn with all its crew dead, but something gets off and the killing continues on land. The vampire is looking for a specific woman, half human, half vampire. Read as the cop detective investigating the many killings. Let's watch. I know I bring up TikTok a lot, but that's kind of how I switch my brain off these days. It, mm. it doesn't help. Um, but um, there was this TikTok that I saw. You you might have seen it where someone was just like, this goes out to the older generation on TikTok. Those kids born in the late 90s. And then all these like 90s kids just kind of like have been yeah. doing reaction videos to it. My favorite one is just the person who's crying. Just, that was so fucking mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fucking brutal. I know. I never, like, I'm turning Those 26. Those people are also still Gen Z, by the way. Yes. That's I, wild. I think that's the thing, is that there's this, like, outrageous, uh, as we've gotten more, as we're doubling down on generations as a concept, I feel like there's also huge misinformation on how big generations are and mm. how old people in those generations are. Yeah. Millennials are, like, by some definitions, 23 to 35. Like if like that's still a millennial and then yeah. also some ge- uh definitions have gen z the youngest would now be 12 and the oldest would be like 27 yeah it's really confusing because you and i are really on the cusp like yeah we, i was born in 95 you were born in late 94 and like i i think i'm a millennial but i'm really on the tail end of it because i believe gen yeah. z has started like a few months after i was born yeah well, it's, so it, I don't quite understand which one I'm meant to fit into. Some people classified me as a Gen Z and then most people classified me as a millennial, but I still don't really know. I feel like the reason we're on the cusp and what really makes the difference is how much you grew up with the internet. Like yeah. my older brother, Luke, is 10 years older. So he's on the other side of millennial. Yeah. And for him, the internet started becoming a bigger thing in social media when he was already an adult. Yeah, he was like 20, 22. Yeah, but like Facebook became really popular when I was in year eight. And mm. that's the thing is that we grew up without social media quite yet and then inventing the rules whilst we were in those formative years. Exactly. And that does mean when I meet someone now who's like 16, I'm like, this is an unrelatable life experience because it's, the whole thing is different now. Yeah, we were definitely that in between where I remember a time when I couldn't access internet easily. And mm. then I remember in, a, in the space of four years, it being completely different. Like I yeah. remember when I was 12, I was trying to watch clips of the Mighty Boosh on YouTube. Yeah. Because I didn't have, I couldn't access it. And so I would like look up the clip of I'm Old Greg, which yeah. was two minutes and 30 seconds long. But our broadband was so slow and our broadband was, you know, like fucking dial up where you'd plug it into the wall. Yeah. It was so slow that it took me, I would say, three hours to load a two-minute and 30-second video. Yeah. And I waited. And then I watched it, and I laughed and had a great time. And then I went to click2amuse.com, which is a page that no longer exists, that had a that had an optical illusion section, yeah. had a little flash game section, had a little, like, makeover section, had a little article section. It was the worst website ever. I still remember the background of it was bright pink, and it looked like water droplets were on it. If anyone remembers click to amuse Email me at ratingdescending well, <laughs> at gmail.com because I want to talk about that website with it, you. It would have been one of those ones that all of these completely broke down 
of all of the places where there were like aggregates of video, audio, and sometimes flash games mm. that were usually just funny. And it was things like Amuse.com, Newgrounds, Something Awful. They it was were- like this, like meant to be like this like hub of entertainment yeah. where you could do multiple things in one website, but they were always bizarre. Yes. But the Optical Illusions page was my favorite. I would spend hours going through all the visual images of optical illusions it would have like a jpeg Mm. and you'd click on it to enlarge it which would take you to a different page that would take 10 minutes to load (laughs) yeah so you could view the image different times and then within like four years we had like facebook and we had like the beginning of the iphone and and all of those things started to funnel through those yeah yeah it was just a really strange time to live through i feel like there was a there was a rapid advancement of of technology in like those five years yeah and it's still Technology is still like rapidly advancing, but when you think about like smartphones being on the market, I don't feel like they have advanced as quickly as they did in those four years as they have in the last four years. You know, yeah. I feel like we found what they are meant to be for the time being, and they've now like refined what it is. Yeah. Whereas at that time they were just searching for the next thing, yeah, and trying to create it. Uh, absolutely, and I-, I think like when it comes to those generational demarcations, like. We're technically millennials, but because of the the timing of it, I feel like I relate to people's growing up experiences more who are three years younger than three years older. Yes. Right? Yeah, 100%. It's also all incredibly fucking arbitrary. (laughs) It's meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. And it's a stupid thing. And I can't believe that currently you see on social media, Gen Z and millennials are engaged in this sort of slow burn warfare. Yeah. As if we shouldn't work together against oppressive systems. This is not how it's meant to work. Yeah. I keep seeing like Gen Zers making posts about how millennials shouldn't be on TikTok. And then millennials getting upset being like, we made the internet what it is today. Yeah. You can't kick us out. We were, we're also kids that grew up with this. I, I think it's It's also like, you know, a lot of capitalism is making people into babies and a lot of social media is about the next hot thing and all of that. I think one of the problems with that is that like when we were teenagers, when our parents were teenagers, when our older siblings were teenagers, they would rebel against their elders and that was their parents. But now because like social media and Silicon Valley has turned that generation into their people in their 20s, like the Mark Zuckerbergs. Now it's people in their twenties who are seen as the parents need that we need to rebel against. Yeah, I'm like, you yeah, don't need to rebel that. against me, man. <laughs> also, I just want to take a moment to talk about something that's happening in my life. Yes, yeah. I didn't get to last episode. I finished uni. Yeah, for the year, and that's big because it was getting very stressful towards the end. And it's not like I had a lot to do. It was oh, I did have a lot to do. It's just that like the major project was difficult mm. and took a long time and required a lot of hours of work. Um, and a lot of late nights, but it's over. And I feel like a really nice sense of relief and freedom and it's lovely. And I can't wait to enjoy my summer. And now that lockdown is easing in Victoria, we've had like no new cases for what? 17 days, 19 days, 19 days. I know we're doing so good now that restrictions are easing. My mom is coming down to visit and I haven't seen her in like six months. So that's super exciting. Yeah. We're going to go on like a cute road trip together and, um, yeah, it's going to be lovely. And also, like, yeah, bars and cafes and stuff are open. Brooke got a new job. Feels like life is returning to normal. Yeah. I'm still working from home and emailing ghosts all day, but there's more of it, and that fills that void That's for great. me. That's great. And yeah. plus, again, you can get out of the house with us. Yeah. No, it, to do things. I can go outside. I can live all of the experiences I never did when I was 20 because now I have self-worth. 
Oh, what's that like? You have self-worth. You have a massive ego. Hey! <laughs> a massive ego do not have self-worth make. No, yeah, you're the Robert Sheehan in every character he plays of big ego, and but you hate yourself the most. Yeah, big ego, but, like, no confidence. Yeah. I'm all ego and narcissism, but I think I'm a piece of trash. You're all brass. <laughs> but no ass. <laughs> That's not true. This some... Oh, thanks. <laughs> Speaking of major life events, we watched Vampire in Brooklyn, uh, which in some ways I could describe as a major life event. Uh, And in other ways, I would also describe it as very unimportant in my life whatsoever. I wouldn't I want you to tell me if I'm right on this, but I would not be surprised if that film has a cult following because it had so many ridiculous elements in it. Like, I think that Eddie Murphy and Angela Bassett were too good to just ignore in this film. Like, I feel like it's probably had some 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 cult following afterwards. Uh, am I right? You're y- smiling you are, at me. You are 100% right. Sick, We yeah. have completely misread this movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my first impressions of this movie was good fun, nonsensical, overwhelming, yeah. weird soundtrack, really funny dude that played Julius who yes. kind of like overshadowed Eddie Murphy. Ghoul Boy. Ghoul Boy was so funny. <laughs> um, I had a good time watching it, but I was also relieved when it was over. Yeah, that was the weirdest part for me about this movie too. I'm like, I I felt like I wasn't enjoying it as I was watching it. But then like, I, it was more than the sum of its parts. Right. Yeah. I felt like when I ended, when it ended, I watched a more complete movie than I felt like I was actually watching in the moment. Yeah. I, I think it was a better film than a lot of the stuff that we've watched. Yes. Definitely more enjoyable. I'm surprised it's lower than a lot of the other stuff we've watched yeah. already. I will say, like, because of course we've said before, this is an experiment into what counts as a bad movie when you have an aggregate like IMDb, yeah. right? I think this shouldn't be on this list. Yeah, I think it's it's too enjoyable. Yeah, I think it's I don't think it's a good movie personally, but I I also don't think it's one of the 250 worst movies ever made. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't think it should be on this list. I think it's I think it's I don't know. It's good enough. It is. It's fun. It is kind of fun. It was a, it was a nice time. I really liked Ghoul Boy. I really like Angela Bassett. She's a very I love her. Yeah. Um also Eddie Murphy as a dramatic actor not bad. Not bad at all. His accent was confusing, but then he fucking played a white Guido at one point. Yeah. And we couldn't tell it was him. Yeah. We weren't sure if that was Eddie Murphy playing an Italian man. Also, I love how punk rock it is to have Eddie Murphy and Wes Craven make Eddie Murphy I'm do whiteface so in a movie. Love it. I'm confused by this partnership of Wes Craven make, making what is like a comedy horror film mm-hmm. with Eddie Murphy as the yeah. lead. Yeah. It is an odd partnership. I'll tell you all about it, yeah. but I'll do the overview do it. really quickly just so that we're all on the same page. So Maximilian is the only survivor from a race of vampires on a Caribbean island. And as a vampire, he must find a mate to keep the line from ending. He knows that a child had been born to a woman who had a vampire father and he searches for her in Brooklyn. Arriving on a ship in the dead of night, Maximilian meets Julius Jones and swiftly turns him into a slowly decaying ghoul to help him find the woman. The woman in question is NYPD detective Rita Vita, who, along with her partner, Detective Justice, <laughs> has been assigned to investigate a series of murders committed by Max. Max attempts several methods of seducing Rita, including impersonating her preacher, impersonating uh, an Italian mobster, murdering her roommate Nikki, and blaming a lot of the events on Justice. 
Max then convinces Rita to go on a single date, and at the date he bites her, turning her into a vampire. Rita returns home, and when Justice comes to apologise, she almost bites him. He learns that if she feeds before the end of the night, she will be a vampire forever. The remainder of the night follows Max trying to convince Rita to feed on a human, and Justice trying to stop him. Eventually, the final struggle ends with Rita turning on Max and staking him through the heart. She returns to being a human and shares a kiss with Justice. Julius finds Max's ring and transforms himself into a vampire, declaring himself the new vampire in Brooklyn. Yay! Love it. Fucking Julius was so funny. The ghoul he boy was. was my favorite part of the yes. whole film. I would watch it again just to watch the ghoul boy. And just pick for up. ghoul boy. He is just like a, he's, he looks like a younger Eddie Murphy in the film. Like, and yeah. like he like acts like a younger Eddie Murphy. He, he does. Film. He's doing the Eddie Murphy where it's, it, it almost veers into being too broad and dumb, but it's like held together by the sheer force of it all. Mm. He's like an Eddie Murphy meets a Chris Tucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a perfect combination of their sense, like their style of humor. Mm. Um, he gave me like real Chris Tucker and Rush Hour vibes where everything that is meant to be serious, he's just quipping at. Yeah. It's so good. He's just always, and he's not giving like one quip to something. Like He's giving multiple. Yeah. He just does this like never ending feed of quips. There was the bit where he comes to pick up Rita and Justice is left standing there after Rita's like, now nah, I'm going to go on a date with this guy. Yeah. And then Julius comes out and he like makes a snarky comment at, detective justice and then like keeps making them as he gets yeah. into the car and he's driving away and he's still making yeah. quips to him he's the best <laughs> fantastic character. eddie murphy was like a really interesting lead i loved his wig i loved seeing the fucking edges of his wig I plastered love, on his head the whole time i love that you said that because i got a whole thing about that later. oh okay because <laughs> yeah. i could not stop looking at the yeah the edges just on his forehead yeah his long crinkled wig was an interesting <laughs> choice yeah. also i kind of love the idea of blending vampire mythology into to West Indies, like, zombie lore. Yeah, yeah. Really cool. I feel like they could have done more with that. They could have, but I also feel like it's not, like... I feel like that's the line between a horror movie and a a supernatural thriller or Mm. a fantastical movie, is the amount that the lore matters. Yeah. Right? I really liked a lot of the makeup and special effects they were doing on, like, their face. Like, for instance, when Mm. Eddie Murphy gets killed at the end when Maximilian dies and he's, like, staked through the heart by Rita, his face starts transforming and getting more strained and scary. Yeah. It really gave me, like, American Werewolf in London vibes. Yeah. Um, which I really liked. I really... And, I can, again, I can see why it would have a cult following. Yeah. It's too memorable as a film to just fade away because it's not bad enough either. I feel like, like... They've got a good cast. They've yeah. got good jokes. And they've got some really cool visuals The as cool well. visuals. Some of those visuals, like, when she's having her nightmare, yeah. it's genuinely scary. Yeah, yeah. Genuinely quite scary. Also, can I... I just need to link on the fact that she has a housemate called Nikki that wants to just fuck anybody. <laughs> like Nikki just wants she wants to fuck Detective Justice, and he's like, "No, thank you. I'm in love with Rita." Yeah, um, essentially. And then she also wants to have sex with Max, and then they bone, and then Max kills her and yeah. and hangs her body up, and it's terrible and terrifying. But Nikki has one motivation as a character, and that is to fuck. And yeah, she gets it. <laughs> and I yeah I I get it. I it's, get her. She's vibe. a wild character. She just comes out. Her eyes land on Justice, and she goes for blood. It's great. Yeah. I love her. I mean, it's also like when we're talking about memorable parts of it and why it would have a cult following, I can't think of any other black vampire movies. Yeah. Like true. it's it's I think the um Kadeem Harrison, the guy who played Julius Jones, brought up 
um, Damon Wayans movie that mm. came a few years later called You Gun Get Bit, which yeah. is, it sounds like it's also a black vampire movie, but this sounds like it would have been one of the first. Also, that's a, I love that as a choice. I'm dying to watch this film and it's on our list so I don't have to go out of my way for it. I really want to watch Hercules in New York, right? <laughs> yes. And it's in our list. It's coming up eventually. Um, I love the genre of this character comes to New York. What I'm about to say is that it feels so similar and that they're taking this, this like old story or this old character or, or, yeah. or um, mythological legend and placing it in New York. Well, I love it because there's no centaur in Chicago, right? Like it's always something comes to New York, except sometimes they go to LA. Is there, can you think of one where it's like so-and-so in LA? Beverly Hills Chihuahua? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like the stories of people going to Hollywood, but the I, I guess the genre of etc. in New York is more prominent. I think New York works better because New York is like it has a lot of different like neighborhoods and boroughs that can make it feel different. There's and, a like, lot going on. It's it's full of history. It's full of pizza. It's full of me walking here. I mean, I love that there was that one character that Julius runs into at the beginning who is literally our impression of New Yorkers. He yeah. was like, hey, what are you doing, Julius? Yeah, and that was, is under-exaggerated. Like, hey, I'm Anthony. That's Tony. And then this bigger <laughs> yeah. Guido got out of the car. <laughs> also, this movie is exclusively black and Italian. Yes. There is there is no other people represented on screen there's, and that's New York. I think there's one woman that looks just white, like a European, like English, uh, Irish white, and it's their cop boss. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. And she had like she, the whole movie, she was wearing blouses tucked into yes. these big pants with a belt. Yes. And she had this like lovely red hair and she looked like a fucking Amazon. And I was like, who is she? <laughs> Of course you find Umami. the tall woman and are like, step on me. <laughs> She's sexy in her own way. Also, that's 100% how I was dressing last summer. And now that summer is encroaching again, I think I'll go back oh, to that blouse tucked into pants look. Thank God. I've wanted to have that look for ages. What? It's, it's a great God. look. No, thank God, because it's a great look. I get to see it again. Thanks. That's what I mean. I want to have that. I'm going to wear my Australian safari belt, which is bogan <laughs> as fuck. Go on. I want to wear... I want to dress like that more, but I just, I, I find it really hard to find blouses that fit me. I don't know. I know I don't have that strange a body, but there's something about it being like long torso without a c- big titties, but then like not narrow shoulders. They're not big, but they're not narrow. See, I feel you because I've got, and I think it might have something to do with the enormous goiter on your back. Um, that makes it so hard that, to dress. Yeah. You always want to bring it up. the fact that one of your arms is ripped and shredded and the other is like wire. Hell yeah, baby. Um, no, but I, I have a similar issue in that, like, my shoulders are normal, but my titties are big. Yeah. And blouses really love to pop open on them. You got those massive mommy milkers. M- massive mommy milker jammery mams. Um, and yeah, I can't, button up blouses are a nightmare because then big titties, but then small waist. So then I have to tuck it in. Otherwise I'm mm. wearing a billowing blouse that looks terrible. Uh. It has to fit over the titties, but then it's just too big afterwards. That's why I tuck yeah. it into my pants is otherwise I have no figure. I look like a mum that's going to yoga mm. in like a linen button up. It's terrible. See, I find a lot of them tend to get like, cause like I got hips, but it's, it, it takes a bit for the hip to come in. So it, it gets like too wide, too, too, um, too tight around the rib cage. Yeah. And then it just makes me look blocky. Yeah. It's terrible. It needs to be billowy there. That's why I like that blue shirt I got. Hmm. It's hard. My favorite outfit last year, this is just a tangent now on, sh- on blouses and pants. It is, yeah. My, my favorite outfit last summer was I have these like beige pants, like 
just yeah like beige button up mm. trousers and then i would like get this like green blouse and i would either tuck it in with like a brown belt or i would like loop it around like i'd just like tie it around my waist mm. to cinch it and it made me look like an explorer for some reason mm. it was just this like green and beige look and i'd usually have this like leather satchel and i just looked like a fucking like I was taking notes on the Amazon yeah. jungle. I really want to do the tie-up thing, but I, I get so self-conscious about my belly. You get self-conscious? I mean, like, if you wear something that covers your belly, it's fine. Yeah. You're not really meant to wear, like, you can, but, like, usually when I tie things up, it's because my you pants tie it up come here, up to my waist. And, audience, I'm looking at my neck. You tie it up here, right? You tie your, sh- you take the bottom of your shirt and then you fold it up at the at your neck. Yeah, just- like Jessica Simpson in that music video where she's dancing on a car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, when this movie started, I was really cautious about it. I feel like this movie's weakest part is its first 20 minutes. Yeah. Because I, I think, so. I feel like this is a good movie inside of a bad one, mm. right? Because in some ways, I don't think it set up the tone very well. The tone was all over the place because yeah. they had this like spooky gothic score and then they would mix it with like just normal fucking like yeah. 90s rap and R&B and which, you're like, wait, what's going on? Which like Wes Craven knows how to do a horror comedy. Like yeah. Scream is funny. Um, and th- there's also other approaches and stuff, but like it, it just, I don't think it's set up very well what, how I was meant to react to it. I'm like, am I meant to laugh or be scared? And it meant, that the first few times I was laughing, I was like, is this just dumb? Mm. And then the first two times I was scared, I was like, oh, why am I scared? Well, I, what, okay, so what really threw me is that the whole opening sequence, I was like, I thought I kind of got the tone. Mm. It's Julius and his uncle in like this shipyard watching TV and then a ship crashes into the house and they're like, holy shit. And they go out and they investigate. Julius fucks off and his uncle investigates the ship. Yeah. And then a wolf jumps at him, the wolf jumps onto the dock, and the uncle sees the shadow of the wolf Mm. form into a man, and that's Max. And Max walks away. And as he forms into a man, there's like early 90s hip hop. The song starts playing, and it's like, and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, I really, I was like, oh, so straight up comedy. This is, and it, but it wasn't. But it wasn't. And it also wasn't straight up horror either. And like, I like a good horror comedy. I just, I think you need to really set the tone very well. And I, I don't think it did. And I think that kind of meant it set itself up for failure. Yeah. It felt like from, what it felt like to me was that it was like a comedy was taking place. And then there was also a vampire trying to make a horror movie happen. I'm keen to know, I don't know how much research you did into Wes Craven, but I really only know Wes Craven from mm. Scream. Well, and I, that's all I've really watched of his. So I'm I. This is one of the only other things I have watched of his, and I don't understand his history as a director, his aim as a director, what yeah. kind of films he typically makes. Well, so this is pre-Scream. This yeah. is right before Scream. This is what 1994. Four. Four. Right. You got to remember, he also did Nightmare on Elm Street. So he he from Nightmare on yeah. Elm Street up until this had done a string of horrors that had a because li- like Nightmare on Elm Street does not played straight, right? Um, he he does that a lot where he kind of makes it a little funny. He's mostly known for things like that, but wasn't like a breakout director until Scream, right? So that's part of why people really like this movie is it's like it represents Wes Craven right before he was Wes Craven, and when he was instead a oh, Wes Craven, right? Um, what I thought was really interesting to jump into some of the trivia. We got this totally wrong because 
I know when we were watching it, we're talking about like, did Wes Craven want to make a horror movie and Eddie Murphy want to make a comedy? Other way around. Eddie Murphy wanted to play it completely straight and insisted that on playing the vampire as a serious character and Wes Craven wanted to make it funny. Right. Yeah. Is that, like, I feel like Wes Craven, once he realized Eddie Murphy wasn't going to play it funny, he was like, let's get in that Julius dude so we can make something funny. We can bring in some Eddie Murphy aspect. Yeah. Well, but I mean, Eddie Murphy and his brother wrote the script. Right. Um, as well as, I should have looked up the name, but I can't remember the other name, um, as well as another guy. And so, like, all of the characters were already in there. It's just that they brought in an angle of adding in more improv. Wes Craven encouraged Julius and Silas, the older guy, to Mm. improvise a lot, which both of them said they liked, but then he would want to do other takes where they did the same improv. Yeah. (laughs) So they had to keep remembering the improv, and they hated that. Uh. Um, Apparently, also, they said that Wes Craven was the funniest guy on set. He sounds like he's a fucking... Bag of chuckles. <laughs> he is a classic bag of chuckles. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you want me to get right into just the trivia? Yeah. Um, also, I just want to linger on, before we do, um, Angela Bassett's mullet. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just linger on that for a quick second. Let's sit in that moment. Let's just mm. absorb it. <sighs> yeah. Okay. I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, so Wes Craven in later interviews uh, suggested that Eddie Murphy had ignored his request to play the character vulnerable and felt compelled to showcase his comedic talents. So there's there's this weird line where Eddie Murphy wanted the character to be straight, but also really wanted to be funny at other times, like when he was the preacher. That must and have been the- fucking annoying for Wes Craven to handle. <laughs> yes. It also explains the inconsistency of Max as a character. Yeah, because the whole thing is Wes Craven wanted him to be vulnerable and likable so that you, like Rita, were tempted to become a vampire. Right. But Eddie Murphy wanted him to be straight up sinister and villainous and evil because he wanted to show people he could be a villain. Yeah, but I feel like Wes Craven had it right because we yeah. needed to understand why. Because I couldn't understand why Rita empathized with Max at some points and then yeah. hated him at others. Like, when they're at that bar, she was like, fuck you, I'll never dance with you. And then the next time she sees him, she's like, oh, it's you. I mean, he seems charming. When when Max was talking to her at the bar, I was like, damn, you know, that's even working on me. I don't I w- know. I don't think you've been approached by enough straight men. That's fair. He just, I don't know. He, I, I thought the moment was directed well, mm. right? Like, he sounded charming. I liked how intimate it felt. Like, it, it was a really kind of effective scene. Mm. I was just, like, triggered into all the encounters I've had with people out. And I could, when there was that bit with that, like, uh, cobra but, yeah. at the bar and it's about to attack her and he grabs it. And he's, like, doing this whole, like, macho thing to be like, look, I can protect you. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> I hate this. Men yeah. do this all the time where they mansplain something to you and then they try and prove their physical prowess. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on. Um, the screenplay was written by three first-time screenwriters. So there was – the story was by Eddie Murphy and his brother Charlie Murphy. Mm. And then Charlie Murphy and two other screenwriters all wrote drafts of it, but none of them have written a script before. And honestly, I think that's the film's biggest weakness because it doesn't have a good structure. No. It doesn't feel like it's framed as a story. We noted that when when Rita is bitten and she starts turning into a vampire and tries to, like, kill Justice, mm. when Eddie, like, when Max takes her aside and is just like, look, let's kill this woman in a park, yeah. you and I were like, is this a new movie? It seems yeah. like he's now teaching her how to be a vampire. And we're, like, ten minutes out from the end. Yeah, well, it was weird because I feel like her getting bit 
needs to be the midpoint or the apotheosis. But what really happened is it was sort of in between and it was just weird timing, mm. right? Like it, it could be an interesting midpoint and then the second half of the movie she's struggling to not fully become a vampire or that's the third act turn. Yeah, I mean, they, did ha- they had a pretty good low point where she woke up, found out Nikki was dead and then realised she was a vampire. Yeah. It's what followed after that that didn't make sense. It was the section between the low point and the well, end of that's the film why, that that's, started feeling like it had become its own film. That's why it didn't feel like an apotheosis. Yeah. It, it, it didn't feel like that because it was then followed up with not how you would follow that up. Yeah. And I love how they did the classic thing where you think she's going to kill Justice, but she turns and kills Max saying, I yeah. can't be a vampire. Classic. Whoa. Classic. There should be a name for that trope. Where like the he- the the hero is misleading the villain oh, into there, thinking they're on their side. There probably is. We just gotta learn the name of it. Or we can make our own. Oh, okay. Well, let's call it the Angela Bassett. Ah, the sexy mullet. I guess I don't. Think- oh, yeah. When you sexy mullet someone, that's when you turn <laughs> on them at the last minute. Also, we haven't talked enough about how the main love interest is called Detective Justice. Yeah, he's a cop called Detective Justice. Fucking. Love it. It's so dumb. So it's on the nose. The dumbest part of this movie. Only a person that's writing a script for the first time could think of that. <laughs> Detective Justice. <laughs> See, that's another thing that made me go, like, is this dumb or is it funny? Because mm. it was both. Yeah, look, that question never got answered. No. Even when you finished He doesn't the film. even have a first name. I don't know whether Justice is his first or last yeah, name. Good point. Wouldn't it be his last name? It would be. But <laughs> He doesn't, he's not given a first name. They're all like, hey, Detective Vita, not yeah. Rita. Her name's Rita Vita. Yeah. Wait, no, it's not. It is. It's Rita Vita. That is a silly name. Well, it's because Vita loosely translates to father. Right. So it's yeah. meant to hint that her father is important. That's silly. No, it, yeah. it doesn't But that means you've work. got Detective Rita and, de- sorry, Detective Vita and Detective Justice. So his surname must be Justice. He's well, like John Justice. Also, while we're on the note of him, him, he was, he was the worst actor in it. He gave no shits about this movie. Yeah. Honestly, fair. And then there was also, well, I guess the only exception is that the like doctor they find who knows about Rita's mum and mm. dad and stuff. He was probably worse, but I feel like he was trying more. Nosferatu. Yeah. Nosferatu. We're going to go do this. Yeah. <laughs> um. In an interview with Rolling Stone, Eddie Murphy gave a reason Vampire in Brooklyn was a failure. The only way I was able to do Nutty Professor and to get out of my Paramount deal, I had to do Vampire in Brooklyn. But you know what ruined that movie? The wig. I walked out in that long-haired wig and people said, get the fuck out of here. What the hell is this? No, it's not the wig. It wasn't the wig. I enjoyed the wig. I love how Eddie Murphy exclusively blames it on the wig. He blames the wig. It ain't my fault. I made a bad film. Gotta blame it on my wig. Gotta blame it on my wig. Yeah, 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 yeah. I still think it should be sung in a Louis Armstrong voice. It ain't my fault that I'm out here getting loose. Gotta blame it on the Jews. Gotta blame it on the Jews. Yeah, yeah. And then that's because you you do a trumpet bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cry. (laughs) Um, In an interview, Wes Craven also gave a reason about the movie's failure. He said, that was kind of a screwed up thing because I wanted to work with a big star. I suppose it could have been better if it were a horror movie, but it wasn't. Eddie Murphy didn't want to be funny. He wanted to be serious and he was very difficult. (laughs) Unsurprising. As I was looking up last night, Eddie Murphy has a strange personal life. Yeah. I, I always think about this image of him 
getting a massage on his balcony yeah. from a topless woman. And like there's just like a plate of food and a thick line of coke. He, just like on the on the train next to him. I think about that photo of him all the time. It was when he was like peak celebrity. I think he'd just done coming to America. Yeah. He had this luxurious apartment in the middle of New York with a topless woman giving him a massage. And I think about it all the time, being like, I bet you're the fucking worst. I bet he, you're the worst. No, it's it's John Mulaney's bit about celebrities, right? Like he got too famous too quickly. Yeah. He thinks he's literally a god. Yeah, and to be honest, people treat him as a god. Right. He's seen as a god. Like when you think about Eddie Murphy, you think of him like championing the the comedic scene of like yeah. the 1980s and 90s. He is one of the yeah. most acclaimed, most remembered comedic actors ever. I, if you think about him in the morality of a god, he's benevolent. It's just that he's a human being <laughs> yeah. and that's fucked up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think all the time of, I can't remember who it was, but someone uh, who was being interviewed in an episode of Harmontown was talking about Eddie Murphy would famously hold these massive parties at his mansion in LA, but he would never attend them. What he would often do, I think it was Kumail Nanjiani was talking about it. They'd often be like in his yard and he would appear on the balcony and wave out to the people at his party and then retire to his room. So bizarre. And I was reading about how like him and Mel B were an item yeah. and they had a baby and he refused to acknowledge it was his. So she got a DNA test and was like, it's your baby. Yeah. And he only met the baby baby when the baby was like three and at the same time that this was happening Mel B had moved to Australia to do film to, to film the voice yeah she was one of the judges on that and I know that because she had put her daughter into our high school oh whoa. in a couple of years below me so I think in 2008 or 9 she enrolled her kid one or two years below me yeah and um everyone was fucking in, like it was wild because Mel B would show up at the end of the day to pick up her kid yeah with her baby that was Eddie Murphy's. Yeah. <laughs> that I now realize is Eddie Murphy's. It was just wild. Wild. Oh, yeah. This one is sad, so I might cut it out. Okay. Sonia Davis was Angela Bassett's stunt double, and she died in an accident on the set. <gasps> I know. How? So she was doing, there was a big stunt fall at one point that Angela Bassett does, and Sonia Davis miscalculated her jump. <gasps> so she hit the cushion, but her head still hit concrete. Oh, my God. And so she went into a coma and died 11 days later oh my god that is so awful it's tragic i, I mean i wonder how many how like how frequently this happens yeah on film sets i gotta imagine it's like not not frequent relative to how frequently it could happen yeah but it still happens i mean it would definitely happen a lot more if there weren't stub- stunt doubles around because yeah. they're trained to be good at this they 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 have saved the lives of numerous actors yeah. by doing these things. But that's just, that is shocking. It is. That is so sad. I I keep thinking about, and this is not a stunt double story, this is just someone dying on set story, the tragic story of Brandon Lee getting shot on set yes. because someone didn't load the gun properly. Yeah. Like there was an actual fucking bullet in there, wasn't there? No, no, no. It was that, so they, they did the check on it and then after the check, something got lodged in. It wasn't a bullet, it's just something got lodged in. What um, got lodged in? This is just some information for you. In the scene preceding the fatal scene, a gun was loaded with dummy rounds, rounds which have a bullet but no explosive. Yeah. So that close-ups would follow, would show normal-looking bullets for the fatal scene, which called for the, revol- re- rov- for the revolver to be fired at Lee. The 
Dummy cartridges were replaced with blank rounds, which feature a live powder charge and primer, but no bullet, thus allowing the gun to be fired with the, without the risk of an actual projectile. The bullet from the dummy round had separated from the cartridge and lodged unseen in the barrel. When the blank round was fired, the bullet lodged in the barrel was propelled forwards. Oh, okay. I did some research into how cartridges work. Yeah. And, like, the cartridge is what you actually call the entire thing, and yeah. the bullet is that rounded bit at the end. And so it sounds like the cartridge wasn't in there, but the bullet remained in the gun, and the bullet was lodged out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There you go. He was shot by a bullet. And then, of course, there's the the tragic accident from the Twilight Zone movie where that actor and two children were killed in a plane crash and decapitated. And it was John Landis's fucking fault. Oh, my God. I've yeah, mentioned you this. Tell- yeah, yeah, you were telling me this. That's awful. Also, have you ever read about Jane? This- now we're just on a tangent about people dying. But also, have you heard about Jane Mansfield's death? No. I mean, Jen- Jane Mansfield was obviously like a 60s sex symbol. She, she is the mother obviously. of Mariska, ha- uh, Haris- Mariska Hargitay. Oh, cool. Because she was dating, um, I think his name was Jimmy Hargitay or Mickey Hargitay. He was a bodybuilder. They had kids together. They had separated. She was in a car with her boyfriend and her three children. Mariska was in the back sleeping. They were driving. They believed that whoever was driving fell asleep at the wheel because they were pretty much like they got lodged under the back of a truck. And Jane Mansfield was essentially scalped, like, when they found her body. She was either decapitated or scalped. It was, like, really gruesome. They don't like to reveal details about the scene of the death. It's just that she died in a car accident. But they're Mm. pretty sure she was either decapitated or scalped. It's terrible and scary. And Mariska was in the back the whole time. Anyway... Wow, Um, that's tragic. In more fun news, according to Charlie Murphy, Maximilian wasn't going to have any redeeming qualities, but Wes taught us that we must get the audience to care about our characters, and even if they didn't know any vampires personally, they would at least have to identify with the type of person he was. That's pretty lame that they don't know vampires personally. I I know heaps. Just get out there. Go meet people. Just get out there. Fucking meet them. (laughs) Um, yeah, you know, I feel like if you're in a city, you're more likely to know a vampire personally. And that's yeah. why, that's why it's set in Brooklyn. Yeah. 100. I have like, I have like five vampire friends, so I can't be like, I, I can't discriminate against them. Like I have heaps of vampire friends, you know? So it's, yeah. like, it's not an issue. Like I don't mind that they're different from me, Yeah, you know? And it's okay that I said that because I've got friends that are vampires. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. No, it's chill. No, I'm an ally. It's chill. It's chill. You, I'm chill. I'm a good person. You can't be part of any systemic anti-vampirism because exactly. you know vampires. But all I'm saying is, why are their teeth so pointy? <laughs> you <laughs> didn't freaks. You didn't say slurs directly to them, so you're absolved yeah, of all chill. the Yeah, it's chill. I've got vampire friends. Yeah, that's yeah. how it works. Uh, let, me, let me give you two reviews. Okay. Uh, one is from Roger Ebert, who gave the film one star. Roger Ebert. Who gave the film one star out of four, saying the movie is unpleasant to look at, that I actually agree with. Mm. It's darker than seven, but without sufficient purpose. And my overall memory of it is people screaming in the shadows. Yes. To call this as a comedy is a sign of optimism. To call it a comeback for Murphy is a sign of blind faith. Mm. He's always so, he's really good at just delivering a little punch with his yeah. with his reviews. I love Roger Ebert. I, yeah. I will say the movie is overall dark, but I wish some of the, some of the, um, the shadows were crushed a little bit more. Mm. I hate that thing when something yeah, is set at night, but everything crushed. sort of looks a little overlit. Yeah. And you can see, like, everything there. You want those shadows. Sometimes when I talk to you, it reminds me that you do colour grading for a living yeah. because I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. But, yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I also, I'm like, uh, those, those... 
those shadows are not, they're so, they should be crushed. <laughs> I would crush them myself if I was on set, but I can't. But, uh, yep, the colours are all, what's with the, uh, you know? To put it another way, I think it should have had more contrast. <laughs> yeah, and the exposure. How about that? The highlights. Oh, my God. Um, now I'm just running through all the words that are in my photo editing um, app. Right. Which is just photos. Contrast on is one of them. That's why I yeah, use that yeah. word. And also, like, what's with the... <laughs> <laughs> no, deep respect for what you do, you know? Thank you. Yeah. As a professional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me too, as also a professional. Oh, fucking Christ. <laughs> Undermine me. What are you going to do now? Boop again? <laughs> Ah, oh, that's pathetic. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, so I have another one. This is an IMDb review by uh, Donan Crickia Severe. Donan Cri- Donan Crickia Saviario called Not for Today's Society. Ooh. It's from 2018, so it's a fresh review. How many stars out of 10 was it? 10 out of 10. All right. <laughs> the movie is not a vampire movie. It's a movie about human behavior, religious hypocrisy, animal behavior, social issues, and difficult choices. I don't feel it will translate well to today's expectations. This is one of my favorite movies. 10 out of 10. <laughs> This is a prime example of someone reading into something way too much. None of those things are present in the no. film. It's dumb. Religious you had hypocrisy. a ghoul boy just deteriorating for fun in the film. It's no, those things aren't present. Who, who, ah, oh, that's so stupid. Also, oh, that's just, that's rattled me bones. Um, I have to say the best fucking comedic vampire film ever is Dracula Dead and Loving It by Mel Brooks. No, I would, yeah. in some yeah. measures, argue yeah. that that's worse nah. than this. Have you watched it recently? I, I mean, you showed it to me. Renfield. It's got Leslie Nielsen, Say No More. Look, I think Leslie Nielsen's a funny and guy Yasmin who's Bleef. also in a lot, of mo- a lot of bad movies. This not being one of them, correct. Uh. And Yasmin Bleeth as well, so wonderful, so funny, so charming. Look, I, I like Mel Brooks. I just, I didn't. I wasn't dead, nor was I loving it. Why would you say that? This is the best. I'm going to rewatch it. Okay. Mm. There's some really good jokes in there. What is your rating of this? Uh, well, now that I've got Dracula dead and loving it in my mind and knowing like the, the sheer height it has to compete with. Um, well, basically, which is the better vampire, Jewish or black? You have to make that decision right now. Oh my Choose God. wisely, no. Abigail. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh. Uh. <laughs> A-cab, A-cab. <laughs> this is me doing an Attica. Um, <clears throat> I would give this a solid, honestly, I'd give it like a solid, I'd, I'd give it the IMDb rating that's, of 4.6 out of 10. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say. For the first time, we have it matched up. IMDb got it right. Next season. On IMDb's worst 250. No. Oh, my God, Abigail. Oh, no. Let me start over. Excuse me. Our father who art in heaven. 
that these are all accents for next week. Yeah. <laughs> Get ready. I'm so keen for it. What, speaking of next week, what are we watching next week? That is a fantastic question, <sighs> Michelle. And let me tell you, I've thought about this one and there's no getting around it. We know what we're going to be doing next week and I'm happy to tell you. So why don't you sit down, get comfortable, and I will tell you exactly the movie that we'll be watching next week. I'm phone. proud She's to announce that next week we will be watching <gasps> Junior! <gasps> oh, yeah! Danny DeVito and Oni! <laughs> That's going to be so fun. Junior. Oh, Barty Crouch. Junior. Yeah, so tune in to... I'm actually shocked it's on the list because I. this is another film that I loved when it was on TV as a kid. Um, and it just doesn't match up that it's a bad film because I loved it. Um, no, but I'm keen to watch it and see that it doesn't hold up and it's going to be shocking. Um, so join us to watch Arnie and Danny DeVito do things comedically. Let's do it. Uh, yeah! I'll probably cut before that. No, you won't. You'll leave this in like you always do. <laughs> I know. I think it's funny. <laughs> it is funny. <laughs>